1: Welcome to the There It Is Podcast, a comedy podcast to help you find your inspiration. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thanks so much for being here. Is this your first time listening? Hey, a special thanks to you for being here. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. But only if you love it. Look, only if you love the podcast. If you're tepid on the podcast, please leave a review for a completely different podcast. We want good ratings here and there it is. Why don't you go leave a tepid review for, um, I don't know, another podcast that's not this one. I don't want to, I don't want to torch anyone else's. Just find, find Rogan's podcast and leave a bad review if you don't like this podcast. But if you're going to leave a review for this podcast, we welcome it. If it's good, if it's a positive review of you talking about how much you love it. All right, let's just get to today's episode because we have a great podcast here. Lots of great guests have been on. Today is no exception. We have Late Show with Stephen Colbert, segment director and producer Ballard C. Boyd, who in the last couple of years has won an Emmy and a Peabody for his work at Late Show. Ballard is not the first person from Late Show that we've had on the podcast. We have a number of episodes in the feed with others who have worked there like Corey Cabin, Paul Mercurio, Lorena Russi, Jimmy Kuo, Stephen Colbert. Oh, no, wait. Um, sorry. He's on the wish list. He has not been on the podcast, but maybe one day. Fingers crossed. But we have talked to Abby Crutchfield and Erica Hernandez, who have been in late show pieces that Ballard directed. Ballard also himself mentions our episode with Greg Iwinski, who just won another Emmy for last week tonight, so congrats to him. All of these episodes are great. Go check them out after you listen to this one, which is a fantastic discussion because Ballard offers a lot of great advice. He shared some experiences working at Colbert and his career leading up to working there. It's a great listen for aspiring directors and performers. Let's get right to it. Here's my chat with Ballard C. Boyd. You're from Tennessee, which I don't think when we met, I realized that. You lived there for much of your adolescence, right?
0: Yeah, I was born in Kentucky. Most of my family's from Kentucky, but I moved to Tennessee just as a national when I was about a year and a half. And so that's really where I grew up until I went to college.
1: You, like me, don't have much of a Southern accent. No, I like to tell people I sold it so I could move, <laughs> which is just a good joke. But, but it's funny, I, I heard that
0: like often children sound like their peers rather than their parents. That's like immigrant kids don't necessarily sound like where their parents come from. Right. And so what several of my, my good close friends growing up were these two brothers, the Fraser brothers. And so I grew up sounding like Ross Murray. Rory. <laughs> rather, rather than, than some of my more southern peers, but my mom has an accent, and most of my family does.
1: Okay, okay, yeah. I mean, my you tell my parents are from the south, and I have. I'll drop.
0: Where did you grow up, and where and where your parents from?
1: The Carolinas. My parents from South Carolina, specifically. I don't really know why my brother and I didn't pick up on the accent too too much it might be television honestly it might yeah, be that's actually also stuff. a good
0: guess i mean I, I attribute it to the the fraser boys but again you it really could it could be more tv yeah
1: Who knows? i mean it's we watched a lot of it and there weren't a whole <laughs> lot of southern accents <laughs> that's true that's i would agree with that except so for, i was gonna
0: say be, being from nashville I, we grew up with just like uh, you know reruns of hee-haw was on a lot like that was just on like some of the other stations and And I was like, well, there's, I don't know, being around Nashville, there definitely was like, like, it wasn't in like the news broadcasters, but it was in everybody else in the commercials and stuff like that. So
1: yeah, it was interesting. It's interesting that because all my life in the South, people are like, you're not from here though. Right. And I'm like, no, born and raised. Yeah,
0: I know. It's just, it's an interesting thing. And yet I, I don't know, I I feel like uh, it did not take me leaving the South to appreciate it more. I think that I had like, I had ambitions for creative ambitions uh, career-wise that that there just weren't as many templates in the South for that. So the interest of trying to go elsewhere, but I definitely thought like it, it, it I went to a kind of a smaller private school for the, the second half of my upbringing. Started in private school and then seventh grade join a, a really small private school. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the folks that I went to school with just went to Southern schools. Like it was only a really small subset of us that were like, yeah, we all, we're gonna go elsewhere. Like everybody else has kind of stayed put. And, and okay. I think it took me needing to, I felt like I needed to like break gravity. You know, I felt like the pull, to stay put was very easy, yeah. so it took me kind of like going elsewhere and being like, "Oh, okay, yeah, 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 I can go, I can go elsewhere. You can kind of go wherever you want." Like I needed to prove that, and then I learned to like really appreciate kind of where I came from. Oh, interesting. So
1: where was that
0: private school? It was in Nashville. Like, so I grew up in a town okay. called Franklin, Tennessee, just south of Nashville. But I, I have I went a buddy to, there, yeah,
1: good friend of the podcast, is it in, lives Franklin? in Franklin. Yeah,
0: who is it? I probably don't know him. I've lived him uh, for years. Jenna but but
1: Hendricks, a famous name, of course, but. He's a he's a bassist, <laughs> not a guitarist.
0: <laughs> as long as as long as it's fairly on brand, I think that's important. Yeah, yeah. it's not just like oh, yeah, I only play the tambourine or I'm only an accountant.
1: You're like, okay, yeah, you're in music. You're adjacent. That's good. We'll brand it yeah. outside. That's fine. <laughs> but yeah, he um, he's in Franklin, but and he's he's around your age, but he wasn't there until after college when you were long gone.
0: Yeah, it, it, well, it's interesting. I grew up. Franklin is not a small town. It was a small right. town when I was a kid. Now it's a humongous town yeah. and there's so many people there and the whole Nashville area has exploded. Like people, you know, say, oh, you're from natural. Like, would I go? What should I visit? And I was like, well, I can recommend like two or three places, like the top landmarks and then anything else small, like what's good food? I, like, I have no clue. Yeah. I have no idea. We, we, we visit every now and then, but but, uh, but again, COVID has been a big thing. Like I have a, my, my wife and I, we have a daughter who just turned two. And so we have her during the pandemic. And so we haven't, Really, you know, we're not, we're not traveling as much as we were until right. recently when she got vaccinated.
1: Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, congrats on the two-year-old. Thank you very much. Still and alive. Doing great. <laughs> yeah. And so you went to Boston, you were in Emerson for college. I did. Yep. I'm an Emerson guy. Yeah. So when you moved out of Tennessee and, and, you know, you, you learn, oh, I can go other places. I actually can make choices and do this. You go to Emerson and did when once you get got the boston did people say hey you do have an accent like did you get that like i got no, that I did, it's in funny New
0: York. no i still think i fairly have like a, a pretty neutral accent it comes out in certain words that or did for more i'd be like how are you doing oh i'm fine like it comes out in like right, particular right. words i do say y'all all the time yeah have no will forever that just seems right and and i know you being from carolinas know that like you know if it's one person it's you if mm-hmm. it's two to three people, it's y'all. And if it's four or more, it's all y'all.
1: All y'all, yeah. <laughs> or so-and-so and them. Oh, I like that. <laughs> yeah. So-and-so and them, I like that. <laughs> yeah, it's a thing where it's like a word will will get you. You know, one word will let, we'll let people know, oh, okay, you are from the South. And y'all is the appropriate, in this day and age, way to go. You can't say you guys anymore. You can't say, hey, you guys. Like, people get mad at that. So you all, say, y- all y'all, y'all is inclusive. It's, it's all. It's, how you, you can't, it's hard to get broader than that. And think right.
0: all all y'all, all double, y'all, double <laughs> everyone is included. Right. I think that's a, that's a fantastic big tent to wrap, to wrap yourself <laughs> up.
1: I'm not trying to address this whole group by only naming some of y'all. I'm addressing yes. all of all y'all. y'all. No one can act left out <laughs> of all of y'all. <laughs> all y'all are here all right all y'all are listening to us talk about the south <laughs> <laughs> so when you went to college at emerson did you already know you wanted to be a director what sort of things in that nature had you been doing that was the ambition
0: that was that was the ambition and the interest i, I think uh, so i made a bunch of uh, i started making videos in high school like maybe halfway through high school and i mentioned the 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 fraser boys that i grew up with ross rory rory is the older friend like the two brothers So basically like right on the, each on the other side of, of my age. Mm-hmm. So they were like, you know, a uh, year and a half apart. And it was curious. I'm like friends with both of them. And I, I'm an only child. And so growing up with them was like, they're kind of the closest two siblings. And so like their parents were like certain parents of mine. So, you know, oh, these cool. are the people that feel like kind of feel like family or right. cousins or, or some, some blend therein. Right. Um, my buddy Rory, they were the family that had the video camera. They were like one of the first people to my family we were late adopters for all technology. So we were like one of the last people to get like a, a VCR. We were the last people to get like a microwave. We were the last people to get a computer. Like we were, you know, we wait for all the kinks to be worked out and then, and then we get stuff. And so they had a view camera and it was, it started with just us like making videos at sleepovers. This like is like middle school or elementary right. school. And I've, you're doing I've stuff. been there too. I've got yeah, those and videos. Then, <laughs> yep. And then and then Rory kind of got more interested in like making movies somewhere in like kind of early high school and I helped with some of those and then that kind of got me inspired to try to do the same thing. And so those first few videos really were like, you got two VHS tapes or you get two VCRs and you're literally like playing one and, and hitting like recording and pause and another one and just going back. So like, I started with like the jankiest of the jank when it come to basic video and yeah, made yeah. a bunch of really terrible pieces but they were well, what was kind of fun though is that we uh, we also like i convinced classes in my high school to be like oh do you have to do like a presentation on a book and like can i make a video and <laughs> and i don't know why they kept saying yes because i would just like waste everybody's time making them watch these long videos we did a science class science class this is not english class it was a science class and it was like we, we did supposed to be an experiment of like this is, totally would have been like okay just uh, the experiment i had was like if you drop different objects of different mass but the same volume from heights, how does the like how does that affect the fall rate? We're di- we're basically just talking mass versus like air resistance. It's a science class. This is not a thing. Right. You're basically you're supposed to do like a thing and do a short little presentation. And I ended up making I shot a like 30 minute video of of um, like making an entire attempt at a narrative of like me and some friends like doing this experiment and like there were title cards there were multiple musical montages and i made <laughs> the whole class watch this long 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 video i did that for like every class and I, i'm kind of blown away that they kept the different i feel like it, in retrospect i'm sure different teachers were like yeah we're not doing that again and then i would just like somehow trick another class to, right. <laughs> to let me do it so i did a whole bunch of that stuff and then When I guess was a junior or something, a short that I made with some friends, it was not for school, one of the rare ones that wasn't for school, we submitted this to the National Children's Film Festival, and that got, it was lucky that it just got like high in the ranks with somebody. So somebody voting, they were supposed to rank the videos based on like, you know, character and story and production value. And. And one person's voting, I got to see the voting years later, just wrote like all fives was like, very funny. Like it would just, it, it had some jokes. It was funny to one person. And that was like enough to like get me high in the rankings. And uh-huh. those basically the, the kind of top videos from that, that film festival got put on a, a, a little show on HBO Family called 30 by 30 Kid that was basically like, hey, it's a bunch of like fun videos made by kids. And so that was exciting that like when yeah. I was 17, I basically had like a thing I made on HBO Family, even though again, it was like super janky still edited across two vcrs but like it but it had the proto jokes in it and, mm-hmm. and so that was like a fun like learning to experiment and still early on you're, you're ripping it off other things you've seen and but, but that right. got the incident in, in doing in, in doing Bethio stuff and then i also acted a little bit in high school like i was the guy okay. that did it basically i played almost no sports but i did every like art extracurricular extracurricular so like i was in I was in band. I was in choir. I did every play and musical except for like one. Like I was, I was the guy that did all the art stuff. And, and also like Tennessee had this great program at the time. I don't know if it still exists. I hope it does though. Tennessee's politics have been questionable Mm -hmm. as of late, but it was Tennessee governor schools. So this is what it is. And a lot of states have these where they're basically like uh, additional summer programs, usually for rising juniors and seniors to basically like do intensive studies on a college campus in different fields. And mm-hmm. Tennessee had one, a, a good, one of my best friends still is a, he, he is now a math professor. He did one for, I believe for math or humanities when he was in high school and there was one for arts and it was really selective, but it was really cool that there was like uh, an acting program and theater tech and fine arts and dance and music. And like, it was, it was a really, really, really cool program that I'm still really grateful that I got to like be in and I made the acting program. And they only okay, picked, cool. like, they basically only pick like nine girls and nine boys from all of Tennessee to do this like acting intensive. Wow. Um, and so I was like, again, really lucky that I got the, the chance to do all that stuff. But I feel like the, the interest was still, even at that time, like attempting to direct, because I felt kind of like I' get to act through all the roles. Oh, that's like-
1: an interesting take.
0: Yeah, like I didn't have the. I still enjoy acting. Like, and I also like will happily talk to any stranger with a microphone. Like, that's perfectly <laughs> fine. But, but like, you know, I didn't. I don't. I've never had the itch. So, like, I have to be the person in front of the camera. Yeah, and I enjoy had... that. Like, as a director, you get to kind of you get to play through everybody. You get to that's kind of like, really like it's more cool. really like a conductor role. You know, where it's like, oh, you don't want to play instruments, but like, no, no, you want to get to play the orchestra.
1: That's really cool. I hadn't heard a director. Explain it that way, but it makes so much sense because you are having to dive into what's going on and with each character, the way the actor has to dive into it to a certain degree. Yeah,
0: um, and, and especially if you're yeah. it, it, if you're working with the actor, like ideally you're giving them directions because you're you're trying to see how they interact, and you have to be in the headspace a little bit of each of the roles to know mm-hmm. why if something doesn't feel right. like, right. Oh, it doesn't feel like they're connecting.
1: So. Oh, that's super cool. Doing that stuff in high school early on, even though it's like, it's tough. Because, I mean, we did that, too, where you have to hit pause. So you have to think, like, how the how the person was standing <laughs> if you're doing yeah. something sort of like, if you're doing a skit or something like that. Yeah. And, of um, course,
0: all the, all the editing and all the timing is garbage because yeah. you, came out, you can't tell. You can't, really, do, I-
1: can't do it quite right. My brother did a pretty good job with it. It's just like changing the angles is the trick. But, like, oh, it was... It's tough, you know, it's It's very tough. tough. And you do always go too long. Cause I did the, I had the same problem (laughs) in high school and college where it's like, all right, we have this idea. And then if you watch back on it, it's like, this needs to be five minutes shorter should have cut there, you know
0: like you, or, or or you you, 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 or you look stuff. at the premise and you're like this needs to be ten percent of the length it needs to be. Like that's <laughs> right, but right. it takes but it takes a long time to learn pacing and, and right. like there's so there's so much nuance both to like comedy and storytelling that right. a lot of it is learned through practice. Right. And and you get a sense of you get a sense of pacing and to actually get it kind of get ingrained in your instincts. Yeah. And a lot of that is just trial and error.
1: Um, yeah. You mentioned you had some prototype jokes and a couple of those videos. So were you into comedy at that time?
0: Yes, I was definitely, and I don't think I necessarily had, it's not like all of my directorial ambitions were all comedy. Like, especially also you're in high school and you're just starting to like learn about cinema. Right. And so you're finding out about certain movies and you're like, holy, like you have no idea you could do this. I I mean, I'm I'm sure everybody has like, I could go on forever about like the first time you saw blank and what it was like. Something for me that was just like a big marker in my brain was, 1999, I mean, 1999, is, was it a crazy year for cinema? Oh. 1999 is, is, a, is a, like, historically gigantic year in cinema. The, the amount of iconic movies that came out in one year is mind-boggling. Okay, um, what
1: are the ones that came out in 99, I, I uh, always... The,
0: the, well, the one I was gonna say that blew my face off was Magnolia, but The Matrix, Fight Club, I mean, I, I, mean, I literally think about, it, like, so many, it is insane the number of movies that came out. You're like, all oh, those were in 99?
1: Like, yeah, yeah, it's kind of like 94 had, I think it's 94, that had Shawshank Redemption, Forrest Gump, and Pope Fiction.
0: Yeah, that's a bonkers year. Like, yeah. yeah the, anyway, there are times where things come out and they're just incredible. But, but the '99, I was 17, and the, and Magnolia, Paul Thomas Magnolia, was that was the movie that like blew my face off. That oh, was wow. the movie that I, I basically. I mean, that's a that's, that's a great a, movie. Not, it's a great movie. It, it was also, I, I like that I rewatched it. I mean, I've watched it a bunch. It's not the movie I watch like all the time. I was like, I don't want it to lose its magic. You know, there right. are some movies that like, have so much power. You're like, uh, I'm, I'm going to be precious with that because I always wanted to have that power. <laughs> but I, I remember rewatching it like in the last couple of years. And I'm like, man, this holds up. Yeah, still just as compelling to me. But that was like, I had no idea you could do stuff like that. Like yeah. it, it, that movie took such incredibly big swings on so many levels both in like pacing and writing and creative and, and like just with concepts and visual. Like I, 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 that was like, I didn't, you could get away with this. Yeah. That was, that was all new landscape for me, which is really exciting. But I actually certainly your question of like interest in comedy early on, I, I was going to say influences that I had that, that will can dovetail into talking later in the future, two things that were like, well, I would say early comedy influences, Muppets was huge. Like yeah. literally Jim, Jim Henson Muppet as like a comment setting my comedy thermostat is still things Thanks. that I love so so much. Yep. I'm so excited that my daughter is now at the age where we watch we finally introduced Sesame Street. We tried to like not do a lot of screens from the first year and oh. I was like so excited to like get Sesame Street and and again I hadn't watched Sesame Street in several decades. Here we are watching like season 50 because we started a couple years back and <laughs> and the good news is like it still holds up buddy. Yeah, Some of the, there's still comedy in there that's working really well which is
1: nice. Oh, it's um, so great. Yeah, I, Jim Henson was really a huge part of my learning what comedy is in a very subconscious way, I feel like. Because you yeah, don't think really, of you're, it you're, as this is really top-notch comedy, or at least I did not until I was Especially an Especially for little kids. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah, I think that, that, that Jim Henson and Frank Oz are one of the great comedy duos of the 20th century. I really I would do. Agree like with their, that. their improv stuff are, is so 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 so, so good. So good. Like that I'm sure is incredible. you've seen that test screen. Yeah. That's what thing. one of the things I think about when they were te- the, the, the field testing for the Muffet movie. Right. And they're just riffing with each other. You 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 get to see the enjoyability of them fucking with each other and how yes. fun that is.
1: Yes. And it's oh my gosh. They were so good and and so good together. Also, like I really enjoy
0: like Jason Segel's The Muppets, like that kind of Muppet reboot movie. I thought that was yeah, lovely. It was. I really like Muppets Most Wanted. I think that's like a wonderful kind of return to form with really good jokes in there. So
1: I haven't seen that one, and I've. Uh, it's really fun. It's super silly. Yeah, and I did love the Segel one. Yeah,
0: yeah, those are both great. I had the lovely opportunity of getting to quote unquote work with Kermit on on a on a bit at Colbert. It was a digital bit, but we had. Steve Whitmire, who is the current the performer after, who took over for Jim Henson. Who it was has, great. Been with, who has been with Muppets for, he was with Muppets for so, so long mm-hmm. and was so, so nice. And, and he came on the show, or Kermit came on the show and did a bit with Steven in the studio in front of a live audience. And then we did a digital bit with Kermit and John Batiste with the implication that they knew each other from, because like, they were roommates at, at Juilliard. <laughs> and, it was, and it was Kermit and John working on a song together. And it was a very, very short shoot, but it was really enjoyable to get to work with them all. And it was really enjoyable, like in between takes, to see like Steve Whitmire momentarily, like ad libbing in character as Kermit. And and one of the few things, like I don't save a billion souvenirs, but I did save his his script that he had like folded over because it was formatted in an interesting way. He had highlighted his lines and was underneath a piano and had it taped kind of to the piano. And I saved that. That's one of the few, like, kind of souvenirs that I have from the first few years of the show.
1: Wow. That, I was a really, that was
0: a really special experience.
1: Oh, gosh. There's so much you want to talk about with Colbert, but special experiences at the forefront. And that's definitely a, a great one. Thanks for sharing it because that's really special. And it's also like thinking about it from behind the scenes. It's like, oh, he taped it on the bottom of the piano. That's how he, you
0: know. It's, yeah. Because he's, kind of, he's just under a table. Like that's, that's where he is. You know, yeah. it, it,
1: so much of this stuff like, you
0: know, you know, if you're building a set, you got to build it for certain gags and you have know, like false floors. But a lot of times
1: you're just in real space and you're just laying on a little scooter. Yep, <laughs> and, and how cool that is! <laughs> That's super cool. Yeah. Now I know before you started working at Colbert, you were doing music videos. You had done music videos.
0: I did. I did. I did. Uh, I have a of music videos in my in my career. They are super fun. Music videos don't pay very much, and I say that to certain. Like really? I said, it to new folks. Or is it, like, I said to like students and I talked to a lot of students. I talked to like, basically I say younger folks. And you're like, really like, that's great. Music videos are super fun because there's, mm-hmm. they're, they're an opportunity to like experiment on things that otherwise you might not have a reason to do. Like if you have a crazy idea, you can just make that crazy idea and put it on the internet. But if you kind of wrap it in the the package of a music video, then you have like a justifiable reason to market your crazy experiment. Right. Which is kind of a fun way to like, in, in an ideal world, you're you're trying to get, a label or an artist to help you foot a little bit of the bill to like do this weird experiment and hopefully <laughs> in service of, of helping a song. But whenever I talk to like kind of like folks in their 20s and they're like, really, there's not many music videos. I, I always say this. I am like, hey, let, let me let me put it in context. When is the last time you bought a song? And they're like, oh, oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. And that's kind of like the music industry, now that everybody's streaming and kind of not buying music, that the, the artists make money touring. Like that's how they're right. kind of making their money. But they're not really making their money through album sales or through streaming. Like if you're humongous, right. you can. But for the most part, you know, labels are not throwing the money that they had in, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s. Post-Napster, all that kind of dried up. But music videos are fun. Oh. I, my approach to music videos has always been, if I can do a music video, basically most of your videos I've made, I haven't necessarily made money. But I do it in such ways. Like as long as I'm not putting my own money, I'm right. fine to actually break even. So if they're great, if if there's a really exciting like reason to do a thing, or I love a song or I love an artist, then I get like excited to want to make a thing. A lot of my kind of career in in, in the middle there was doing commercials. Like I I I, I started post college. I had a weird kind of side run in Colorado for three years. I didn't mm-hmm. immediately go to New York or LA because I was I was scared. And I got a job working at a nonprofit in Colorado for a few years but did some comedy out there. And then came to New York in 2008 through another college friend that was in Colorado and he moved to New York and he was kind of my, he moved, I moved six months after and moved in okay. with like so was, He was the healthy bridge of a friend. So I came to New York and I didn't, I like had a place I could live, even though it was a, like literally like an eight by 10 room, was like prison size room. Had a lofted bed because you couldn't physically fit a bed in there and walk around it. And I still like couldn't fit the whole bed under the lofted room. It was anyway, very small room, but like got in there and then I did sketch comedy in kind of the early days of YouTube, for my first few years, and then got into directing commercials, kind of because the sketch stuff was basically learning how to make videos, learning how to make funny videos for people on the internet with short attention spans, translated pretty well to commercial stuff. So Mm -hmm. I was (laughs) kind of early getting into kind of web commercial stuff. So these are still pretty small budgets, but for brands you've heard of was that was the thing that kind of became my bread and butter for a run of years. And that was helping subsidize all the other creative stuff. So okay. like that basically doing the commercial work is what allowed me the freedom with, like, oh, I can do a music video and as long as I'm not losing money, it's okay for me to pass on a fee and make something really, really fun because it scratches a creative itch yeah. or do a web series or do a short like the commercial work was actually what subsidized a lot of that creative stuff.
1: Oh, very cool. So I have questions about all of this that you've done. I, I might have answers. <laughs> so you were doing... You said when you were in Colorado, you were doing comedy. What were you doing? Were you uh, doing stand-up improv? or?
0: So I got in with a, a very good friend named Dave Burdick and another guy from college named Alicia Yassi. They're both very, very funny writers and, and stand-ups. They started a show called Secret Circus in Boulder. And basically, it was kind of like a comedy variety show. And, and we put it up about every six weeks. They worked out a deal with the um, program council at the University of Colorado Boulder to basically put on a show for the students like every six weeks which is again an amazing deal we're like i don't know how they convinced like hey let's throw your money and make a, a sketch show we're like we got a little bit of cash for that it was incredible and and basically they were doing a show that was like they would do stand up there'd be some stage sketches there'd be maybe a musical guest and there'd be some videos and i initially got hired really to be a video guy they'd be like oh we mm-hmm. need to do some like tiny sketches and then because i had an acting background i kind of became like the third guy on stage sketches mm-hmm. i never did stand up i never did improv I, i've done I've tried stand up before and mm-hmm. it was enjoyable. Like, I, again, I, as I mentioned to you, I enjoy talking to strangers with a microphone, but I've never had the like itch to do stand up. And yeah. all the people that I know, because I know a lot of stand ups, all the people I know who have like really pursued stand up and, and succeeded at stand up is like they do stand up because they have to do stand up. You know, it uh, is, it, if, if, if no one paid them to do stand up and they didn't do stand up for a while, they would still, they would start seeking out shows. Like, oh, you have okay. to get on stage because it, feels like you, you it's an itch you have to scratch and i never had that itch that heavy and okay. the same thing with improv like I, I i know a lot of people who have tons of improv backgrounds but i never was as compelled to do that like i enjoy the riffing and improvisational process as a method of writing right but then i always kind of my, like my personal taste is i i like scripted things i like mm-hmm. structure i like story i like i like figuring out how to like how to like solve it like a little puzzle Whereas some people like the, it comes out of nowhere and it gets constructed live in front of you. Like they, they love that. That's their, their favorite thing in the world.
1: Yeah, no, that's fine. That's one of the things I love about improv myself. When you were making music videos, I'm curious about music videos. What, what, what would you say is the hardest thing about making music videos?
0: Interesting question. I don't know if this is the hardest thing, but I was saying this, this dovetails a little bit with both music videos and commercials is the pitching aspect, which, which I don't think mm. people necessarily think about that, that when you're, I'll say this is, this is what I've heard for like more, more studio music videos. I've rarely done this because I am usually working with smaller artists that like I find out through a friend, but I'll give an example. Like I did a music video for this band called self that I was a humongous fan of in high school that luckily it called self with really. In essence, one guy, it's a guy named Matt Mahaffey. He's incredibly, he's, an, he's a mind-boggling musician. And in like the late 90s, he basically wrote, mixed, produced, and recorded a whole album and then did like multiple ones. And so the name Self was really just like, well, I'm just the guy doing it. Even uh-huh. though he actually like developed a band and they would tour with a band. And, and, and he's a remarkable right. musician who has now also mostly forayed over into composing for TV. So he, he a lot of it being animation. So now he's like an animation composer and is composing for so many humongous shows. Uh Nickelodeon and like he's he's an amazing musician, and I was a fan of high in high school, and then had an opportunity after the band self was around for a while, had kind of a very vibe, kind of like uh, genre mashup Beck like kind of thing, like like just throw the kitchen sink, but it's also still pop music, yeah. And I, I was just I was a big fan of the band, and then they played a live show, first live show in a whole bunch of whole bunch of years in Tennessee, in Nashville, and I I stuck around after the show to just very briefly say hi to Matt Mahaffey. We did not know. And I was like, hey, I'm a huge fan. I, I, I live in New York, I'm a director, I do music videos. If you're ever looking for a thing, here's my info, love the chat. And, and I just said like, hey, and then I think I might've literally messaged him on Facebook or something, like the next day, like follow up, like that, again, like, like his official page or something. Uh-huh. And he was like, yeah, 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 let's, let's talk. And he like gave me the email. And, and so we basically, I met with him. Oh, cool. We just, we just talked. It was like hung out for like an hour or something like that. And he was working on a new self. It was like maybe 2012, something like that. Okay. And then I kind of, I just wanted to do a video for his work for so long ago, I was just a big fan that I spent probably a year and a half just throwing him ideas. Like oh, literally wow. like, every, like maybe not all the whole time, but like at least a couple of times. I'd be like, hey, here's literally a PDF with a bunch of ideas. They were not attached to a song because he was like working on an album, but there was not really samples out. But I was like, I, and I was just like, "Hey, here's," the, and they were just like, "Here's an idea that's set in a laundromat. Here's something that's all with puppets. Here's something that's all slow motion that's set on a slip and slide." Like, it, what's fun about music videos is that sometimes you're writing to a song and you get like a creative narrative idea, and sometimes right. it's just crazy ass concept. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I can make this visual and I can make it feel connect to the song. Like, there's so many ways to do things in music videos that are really cool. Right. But I basically pitched him ideas with like just a grab bag of freebies to stay on his radar for like a couple of years. Uh-huh. And then when he um, when they finally had another album coming out, he was like, "Yeah, he, here's a few songs. Like, well, what's what interesting to you?" And then so I listened to this one song that that was like going to be the single. That luckily I adore. This was called "Runaway." It's so good. I mean, and here's great. So like, when you make a thing, you listen to it a billion times because you have
1: to like prep
0: for right. it and do the shoot and oh, then right. edit. Yeah. Still not sick of it. Here it is. It's like 2022.
1: Song rocks. It's great. <laughs> when I have to edit, I kind of turn my brain off to what the thing is whenever I'm editing something. Like when I edited videos like sketch ideas that i shot in college or whatever i'm thinking about the like specifics the mechanics i'm not really thinking of it as a piece and once it's done that's where i'm and i've looked at it a couple times just to make sure the edits are right then it's like my brain switches off into just watching it as a piece does that happen for you well, what you described there, I think is actually like, the, it, I don't think it's one thing and then the other one, it's a
0: constant back and forth because that and that's mm. actually some of the hardest things. Like you do have to get granular to like sense the moment. Right. And then one of the hardest things for, I think editing anything is then to have to separate your brain back to see it from an audience's perspective that right. doesn't know what's coming. Um, because that's still a crucial thing to do constantly. Even the, the stuff we do at Colbert that's usually turned around pretty fast. It's one of those things where like, there are definitely times of like, great, I need to go walk around the block, which I don't, which is not actually sometimes a luxury that I ha- necessarily have based on right. like how fast the turnaround thing is, so that I can come back and see it with somebody or see it with new eyes. The most helpful thing for that is to bring another person into the room because even if you've seen it a bit, just picking up on their, and like literally just having their vibe, having somebody else in the room, I get a sense of seeing it from their perspective for the first time. Yeah. That's like, I, I, have, a, I have an associate producer and I work with a Colbert that's like kind of my producing partner because we work at usually like teams of two. And okay. I show her stuff constantly, constantly, constantly because I need that fresh perspective. Yeah. My wife mm-hmm. is, thank God, a good audience member because she doesn't care at all. Like my wife does not work in the arts. And so she she's a fantastic audience member because she'll just tell me you're like, I don't get it. Like she she she's, you know, she she's, yeah. she's a really good like first look all the time because it's just like a blank blank yeah. slate impression. Right. Um, but, oh, no, but certainly back to about, about pitching. So like I was going to say, one of the most interesting things about pitching music videos, it's definitely the case for pitching commercials is the idea that like you're writing these book reports to tell people about the coolest music video you've ever seen but you're the only person who's seen it and you have to right. describe it to them for why it's super super awesome and <laughs> and, and and you're going to love it and you need to trust me to give me a bunch of money to be able to pull it off so like that's a crazy thing to have to do like, that ability to have an amazing idea in your head and then articulate it out to somebody both to sell them on the idea And then also to explain that idea to collaborators. There's a quote from, I think it's Kevin Smith, which is a strange person I feel like to be quoting, but, but talking about like, as a director, you don't necessarily have to be technically minded, but you do have to have the ability to articulate your vision to the people you're working with. That's the most important skill. Right. Sometimes you can hire people who have technical skills. You're like, I need it to feel like this. And if you can clearly articulate how it should feel, they can articulate how to pull that off for you. You don't have to know where to put the lights go or what lenses to use necessarily, but you do have to be able to explain your ideas to other folks. That's, that's the crucial job of a director.
1: That truly is. Like an idea in your head is so visual and it makes sense. And the moment you open your mouth to try to explain it, you cannot find the words. Very, it's very easy to not find the words and not yeah. know how to explain it to anyone. How do you learn to get better at that?
0: Practice. Uh, I mean, yeah. the,
1: the, the short answer is practice.
0: It's not, a, it's not a fun answer, but, but that, I, I talked to a lot of students and one of the things that everybody's like, I want to build a creative career. How? Like that's the whole vibe. And I always, one of the big things I recommend to people is like my best advice for trying to build a creative career is get really good at your craft. I think that any creative career, there's going to be a component of luck. It's unfortunate to say that. We wish it was a meritocracy. We wish that, but there's going to be an element of luck and privilege. Like that is right. inherent. Yeah. You can't control the luck and the privilege stuff. Good is because you can't control it, you shouldn't worry about it. Yeah. Some of those opportunities are just going to show up or they're not going to show up, and that's okay. What you can control is being really good at your crap. So when the opportunities do show up, you actually have the skill set to take advantage of the opportunities. It would suck to be like, I really want this job. And then you spend all this time trying to chase down the job. You actually aren't good enough for the job. You need to get yourself really, really good at the job. And I was going to say, I, I recommended, I'm going to literally plug your actual show that I'm on right now. <laughs> I, I listened to your interview with Greg Iwinsky, who I know from working at The Late Show. Right. And he talked so eloquently about like the approach of being a comedy writer and, and like putting in your reps and yeah. his metaphor for looking at it, like playing basketball and the idea that like, hey, even if you're in the NBA, you're gonna practice threes, you're gonna practice free throws. Yeah. You need to develop that skill set to write jokes at a very fast clip at a huge volume because right. that's what the job requires. Like i literally in the last, I've recommended that episode twice to people in the last week because it was oh, a really thanks. good conversation. And he's a super sweet guy who has he a lot is. of good stuff to say. But I, I feel like that getting good at your craft is a really important step. And the best way to get, to get good at your craft, in my experience, is to make a ton of stuff. And it serves a lot of different areas. Like one is you're going to basically get feedback at a faster click mm-hmm. if you keep making a bunch of things. Like if, you, basically if, you, if you're interested in being a director and you make two short films this year, they might turn out fine. But there's also a chance that they might turn, not, turn out that great. And you only basically had two at bats that right. year. But if you attempt to make 20 short films this year, that 20th will be so much better than the first two because you have just tried so many different things. And also the idea that like you might make two and they just don't both turn out very well. But if you make right. 20, the chances the two turned out pretty good is like you just increased your your opportunity, like your chances so much higher.
1: Right. You've really find the edges down in your ability to craft
0: in one you're getting more feedback like i, I also right. feel
1: like you can't develop as an
0: you, don't you can develop as an artist without an audience and it doesn't mean that the audience needs to like your work but if you're trying to elicit an emotional reaction from an audience with your work you right. need to know if you're getting the reaction you want like if your job is to make an audience uncomfortable and make some really awkward cringy shit you need to know if it's working if they're just giggling but but it doesn't actually if they're not they're not as, uncomfortable as you need it to be, like, there you go. Like, they don't have to like it, but they do have to get the response that you kind of want to get out of them.
1: Exactly. Yeah. That's a very specific way to put it.
0: And you need that response. And so I'm a big thing. Mm-hmm. of, like, you need to make a thing and finish it and get, and get feedback. And it could be sitting in a room. It could be showing your friends, it could be YouTube. Like, there's a bunch of different ways to get, to get input, but you need to get that. So, like, get, basically getting more input means you get more information than that you can iterate on. Because you might try something and be like, I think this might work. And then you try it. You, know, you know what? It didn't work. But then you have so much more feedback. Look great. I can, yeah. next time I'm not going to do that, I'm going to try this other thing and see what I get. And the idea of getting like that feedback loop, iterating faster and faster is humongous in getting good at your craft. Absolutely. And the other thing that making a ton of stuff does, which I think is almost as important, is it makes you less precious about your work. Mm. You start taking bigger swings and work, make more interesting choices. Sure. And if things don't work, like what, if things don't work, you're not as worried because you know, you have a bigger body of work and you know, you have more at bats. One of the things I'm so, so grateful for is, is I moved to New York 2008. I mentioned my friend Dave Burdick, who's an incredibly funny comedy writer who moved to New York. And then I came after him. He introduced me to one of his middle school buddies named Reed Levin, who he started a comedy troupe at Pace University called Better Than the Machine. And they were doing weekly videos on YouTube. It's kind of like in the somewhat early days of YouTube. So they were building a following on YouTube, doing weekly videos. And they kind of brought me in to help shoot and videos. And, it, and at this point, like I came here with no job. I did so many random things to pay my bills. Like I, I ran scavenger hunts. I worked for, I did data entry. I did catering, I made yoga videos. I did like so many random things. I barely paid my bills, but I used like tons of my free time to basically do videos yeah. any opportunity to like make a new thing, practice, build my reel was, I, I worked all the time because I was just like trying to make connections and try stuff out. And so I got in with this troop and we were doing weekly videos and it was, we made business, made something like 40, 45 videos, in like a year and a half, which was Huge for me because it was yeah. so great that we would try to like, okay, we're gonna like everything was different. Like, we're gonna do a parody of a Special K commercial. We're gonna do this sketch that's all slapstick. We're gonna do one that's like a Who's on First verbal thing. We're gonna do one that's like a parody of Saw. We're gonna do one that's a musical. Like everything was like totally different, different formats. Mm-hmm. And it would be really great because I would shoot a thing, have an idea, pitch it, or not pitch it, but like execute on it. And mm-hmm. then they didn't always work. Sometimes it kind of land, didn't land it. Or you're like, oh, you know what? I should have panned. That that shouldn't have been a cut. It should have been a pan with a reveal. Like, you try my stuff. And what was so great about working with them on a regular basis was that I would do something. It might not work or didn't get as many views or got bad comments. And instead of, like, feeling terrible for months or weeks, it'd be like, well, we're shooting again on Saturday. So what can I glean from this? And then you just go do another thing. Right. And, and, and that was, like, so, so
1: important. That is, yeah. And
0: I'm kind of glad that I have a, a similar situation at Colbert that we're always making stuff, um, right? With the
1: Daily Show, and you're you're making so much, yeah. <laughs> so you do get that opportunity to continue to grow and continue I feel to like learn things.
0: I feel like I've gotten, I've leveled up a lot as a director in the last, like, you know, looking back at what I made from like 2017 so now. It's only like five years. I was like, oh man, I feel like i I feel like I've gotten a lot better as a director just because we've done so much which again yeah. I'm, I'm so grateful for just the volume and body of work because I'm, I'm so grateful to like just constantly working
1: and you've been there since 2015
0: yeah i did and... the show about two months before the like the new late show came on the air i started like right before the show
1: okay okay and you have done a ton of videos like what would you estimate at this point couple hundred or a hundred? Uh,
0: well, it's funny. I was going to say stuff that made it to air and probably close to like 140, something like that. But then I started on the digital team on the show and the stuff we made just for the, di- like I, 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 looked back at some records because I try to like keep everything in a, in spreadsheets though. It's not always perfect, but I look back at like some scratch records. I did it like just number of things we made. And in the first six months of the show, when we were doing digital stuff and a lot of those are very, very small, like we're talking 15 second pieces, but there were still be like scripted sketches and 15 seconds for Instagram. Cause we were just doing like a fire hose of content we were making for the internet and right. we didn't know what anybody wanted. And so we were just, we were just trying so many <laughs> crazy things. Right. We did made something like 140 videos in six months. Wow. And then if you count stuff that like basically like uh, uh, I get somewhere on the range of like 20, 25 sketches on air a year um, and yeah. we do 202 shows. So like that's a pretty good, that's a, that's a pretty good number, but there's still like every year there's probably something like, five to eight that that get shot that get cut for any number of reasons sometimes will put something in the can and then you'll have something topical like hyper topical and then the conversation will change uh-huh or occasionally like very rarely but they're occasionally like oh we're doing a thing and then there is an element of um what's the term for it when like two people have the same idea there are other late night shows and sometimes they're like oh they did the variation on the same oh, idea parallel thought parallel thought yeah where they're like oh, oh that's that's a that's a similar idea ours is executed completely different but it's just close enough that it feels like we're trying to eat somebody else's lunch and we're like, you know, that's it goes in the
1: vault. Say lobby. Oh, that's too bad. I mean, there's so many shows that are about current events. That's very easy to happen. It's it's it's, and it's a lot of people say like, oh, they ripped this off from someone else. And it's like, no, that doesn't happen. No, we're just all I think it's mostly we're all writing really fast. And there are similar
0: mental connections that everybody's brains are going to make because they're the first kind of links.
1: And that's it. Right. That just happened so much. It's like it's ridiculous when someone tries to sue a late night show for stealing their tweets. And it's like you're writing a monologue style joke, you know, you're using the same structure and you're talking about the same topic, billions of people in the world. Like of course it's gonna be yeah. somebody else who made the same joke. So it's always absurd when we're talking about something as simple as a monologue joke or or an idea for a sketch. Like there's yep. gonna be so much overlap because there are a lot of people who thought, it's a, I've had ideas. And then I was watching something. and it was like, well, they did that too. You know, like this is life. I have a friend from college. I thought this is crazy. He had two
0: funny ideas that he had two ideas in his, in his like mental quiver that he thought were just completely ludicrously funny ideas that like, he almost thought they were like, you know, like too ridiculous. He thought they were very funny to him, but they were too ridiculous to ever be executed on. Uh-huh. And, and they were, they were jointly Abraham Lincoln versus the vampires. Which oh, which wow. was Abraham Lincoln Vampire? So he took that and was like I'm going to run with it. I'm running it all the way to the finish line. And the other one was the idea of Santa Claus's like shittier younger brother.
1: Oh, Fred Claus.
0: Yes. And both those ideas. I should. This person has a sense position. So so she basically was like, what what are these? How, how did somebody pull those ideas
1: off? <laughs> yeah. Those are those are things where like, well, no one's thought of this. Those this are is just a random a wh- what, thing, right?
0: But they're also just weird high concept ideas.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes if I think of something that seems so dumb and simple, and I haven't heard that anyone else has done it, then I think, well, I have to do it then. <laughs>
0: well, and it's funny you bring it up. I mentioned we were just talking about this music video Runaway by Self. So I pitched probably like five different ideas for that song. And the one that we ended up making for anybody that wants to watch the music video afterward is all cats. But the idea is that the music video is there's, there's only like one human hand in the sketch. In other words, it's all cats. <laughs> and it's lots of beauty shots of cats in slow-mo and, and just different shots. And then as the song progresses, you're seeing basically cats like moving along to the song and then playing instruments. And, and the hook for me was, I was pitching a bunch of crazy ideas and the idea, I think I was watching, again, not something with cats. I was watching another, it was like, look watching some other sketch that had people doing things where it was actors wearing all black, moving objects around in front of black backgrounds and, like, uh-huh. and, and moving around like cardboard graphs. And I was like, I've never seen anybody do that with animals. Like, yeah, I've never seen anybody wear all black and move animals around like they're doing like they're playing instruments and playing drums and playing guitar. And it was literally, it, the whole idea came from that. It was the idea of like, oh, I can literally just put humans in black clothes over in a black background and like these cats and move the cats around. And it's such a low tech, completely dumb concept. I was like, that's so stupid and so easy. And it was like, out of all the ideas I pitched, I think I've, like, I've, I've sent a PDF for like maybe five ideas. And I it, when I, I wrote that idea up, I pitched it so hard. I was like, we have to do this. It's so, it I was like, it just seemed, it's so obvious. And I, it seems so obvious, and I haven't seen it, which means we need to do it immediately before exactly. I see it show up somewhere else. Exactly. And, and I think that's why, but also that also leaned into the end of it, like, hey, this is 2014 when we did this video, or like 2013 when we were doing it. It was like, hey, you know what the internet loves? Still loves cats. Let's give, <laughs> let's, let's run with that. We're going to take one dumb idea, and the fact that it runs with cats, we're going to take those two ideas, slam them together, and run with it. And that's our music
1: video. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and I've been, people just love cat videos even more than ever. As time has passed on since... That video Pe- came out.
0: People falling down is always going to be funny. <laughs> Animals are always going to be like just attached to lizard brain. Like, oh, it's cute. Look at the thing. Like those things are always going to work because of how our brains operate. It's handling like a very like, you know, lizard brain, you know, base of the brain reaction. So yeah. are, that's always going to work with
1: folks. <laughs> Let me ask you about some stuff with working at Late Show because that's yep. such a cool gig. And, I agree. Um,
0: I'm incredibly grateful. I'm still, blo- I'm still so excited to, to be there. Like anytime we make a thing, I'm always like, it looks like a- they're putting this thing on TV. Like I'm always, I'm still excited.
1: <laughs> oh, that's awesome. One thing that I saw that I was blown away by is something that Erica Hernandez is in and it's like the backstage props.
0: Back, backstage pass was, the, was the, the, the format for the, that was kind of the refillable bucket. We did a couple we're done a couple of those with the idea of Backstage Fast, which is, for those that have not watched this, that are simply listening and podcasting, it's, it's the idea that we're going to show you a behind-the-scenes documentary for how we make The Late Show, and then everything in the documentary is fake. Everything's right. a complete lie.
1: Right. And yes. the one with her is a, it's like an invisible... Yes, that's the idea. I didn't, Steven does a
0: lot of pantomime, pantomime with invisible props that are not there in the monologue all the time. And the joke is that she's the prop master for the invisible props department. Right. It's a, essentially a one-core-premise joke That we extrapolate out as far as we can in two and a half minutes and and then and then as long as you can go is two and a half minutes with that premise and that's that's the max length for premise fatigue for that it's
1: so great she's amazing in it she's exceptional she is such a lovely
0: person and she is so good in that sketch
1: yeah she's incredible in that sketch. every time i've seen her i've just been blown away whether it's on stage or on camera she or audio, because I've heard her do podcasts. Oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot. She's been doing a lot of scripted stuff. Yeah, and she's fantastic at that, too. She is just wonderful. But the sketch was also great. There were, like, a lot of practical effects that you did to have the invisible props there. And it's very... I think, I think a lot of times when I think of sketches on a late-night talk show, they're pretty simple. But when I watch the ones you've directed... There's a lot going on, and I wonder how you can produce it so quickly because there's so much going on with a lot of the videos. Do you pretty much have the day to do it, or do you get a couple days to finish things?
0: It depends on the piece. Uh, the okay. good of the things that you see, you are like, man, that's elaborate. We have lead time, so okay. like that's that, that's a good. Though when it comes to actually shooting, we might be shooting them in just a day or a day and a half. Yeah. Like the, the actual execution is still very very crunched. Like I did a piece recently that was uh, it was a parody of. The, the trend in TV shows this past season of like multiple limited series about uh, the rise and fall of, of egotistical tech CEOs. Mm-hmm. Like there was one, on the dropout about Theranos, and there's one about Uber, and there was one about WeWork. Mm-hmm. And the joke is that, like, well, Paramount Plus is going to, it needs to get in this trend, but we're having a hard time finding failed app companies. <laughs> but we found one that you'll definitely recognize. And then the joke was we made the series trailer for a limited series just about the, the guy who came up with Clock App for iPhone. Just putting a clock on a phone like it, it, and right. so it's a very again very very super clear premise super dumb premise and then just execute it as seriously as possible like just take it <laughs> take that idea and treat it as if this is the most important thing that they probably spent you know a hundred million dollars in 10 episodes 10 hours television and and shoot that like two minute sketch and and that ended up being like just the scale the visual scale of that idea that like oh we're showing you part of like an entire series season of television in a, in a small sketch had to be like with a lot of with a lot of stuff to shoot but then we actually shot that whole sketch in a day and a half because that was that, you know we don't, we don't want to shoot it forever we just had to like cram it down right. but we had lead time to basically pre-produce all that because there was a lot of there was a lot of actors a lot of locations a lot of props so sometimes you build in lead times for that basically the shorthand is that it varies for the scale of the piece so we do often we're doing things that are fairly topical if it's mm-hmm. hyper topical there in the past there have been times where we've done pieces that are 24 like that are the same day. We, Post-COVID, we have not been doing that as much, which it, it's also good because it's, it's, it's very hefty for the, the show. That being said, there's a dedicated cold open team. There's a yeah. cold open sketch at the time of every single show, and there's yeah. a dedicated team that does it every single, single day, and they are beasts. And actually, all, but also like a fairly deep bench of people who work on that because <laughs> yeah. they, they have to make it every single day. For the staff that, that, that Field does, and so me as, as a director in the Field department, we do all the, we do all the pre-tapes pre-taped comedy sketches that aren't live in front of the audience and aren't the cold open. And that can be anything from scripted sketches, such as I do a lot of parody because that's, you know, coming from commercials. If you need a fake commercial, well, I'll just shoot, I'll shoot it like a real commercial. Like that's, I have that skill set, And so I do a lot of, I do a lot of scripted parody stuff for the show, which I'm grateful that I enjoy. But we also do unscripted stuff like Steven goes to Russia, where there was a week of Steven's going to do remote stuff where you're going with a correspondent in the field. Like those are the more traditional field pieces right. which we'll do a handful of in the year and then we'll do a lot of scripted things as well, stuff with celebrities. Like it's all it's all different scales. Sometimes we'll do things that are hyper topical. Like this is a this is something that needs to be turned around within 24 hours or within three days because mm-hmm. we know it's really, really attached to the, the conversation right now. And then we'll also have lead times where it's like this is related to a holiday or something that's right. happening in the culture, but we know there's it's coming up. So it'll still be applicable. We often as long as we can, we can pin it to a news story. And there's a, there's a yeah. logical reason to segue to it that we can use to pull it up. And then there are things that are straight up evergreen. So, like that invisible yeah. props that you brought up,
1: that's not pegged. You can to run that anytime. Yeah. You can run that
0: anytime. So, there's, there's always a, a variation of, of types of things that we're making. And the amount of time that's needed is a combination of the ambition of the piece as scripted, the time available for the piece, and then also the, pipe, the, the, the production pipeline for the show. Because we're also like, you know, the, the, the folks who work on this, our wardrobe teams, are. Our props teams, all the lighting teams is also still doing the daily show every day. So we have to work right. within the parameters of that and everything else that needs to be shot.
1: You work with a lot of different people. You, like I mentioned, Erica Hernandez, who's wonderful and great. She, when you worked with her in that sketch I referenced, she wasn't like the famous guest who was on, but you also work with the famous guests. Sometimes, like you've, you've worked with Tony Shaloub on a really funny bit, and you've worked who with. Who I can say was the
0: nicest guy I have ever seasons. worked with. He no, my brother has spoken so, to him, and he, he is the nicest lovely. guy. He was insanely lovely. He was insanely lovely. Like, I, we, we did, the, the thing I did with Tony Stevens was, was another backstage pass, which was the joke that when Steven gets sick, other shows have guest hosts. Steven's never missed a show, and we reveal that he's actually missed plenty of shows. We use a CGI double... And the joke and was, was Tony that Shaleen, Tony Shalhoub plays the CGI version of... Things, one of the greatest in, actors is playing yes. him. Yeah. He, play, he, he wears the suit with the tracking markers when Stephen is sick. It is the joke. He's and so good
1: at he's so anything. Good, but
0: but we, uh, the, in that entire sketch, and he's the bulk of that sketch, we only had an hour 15 minutes with him. Yeah. So that was the whole thing.
1: Yeah, And, and he, he was, was incredible with that. He was really matching a lot of movements. and So people should, if they haven't seen, they should go check that video out because it's really funny but when you first had to work with somebody famous did you have to adjust how you work or did did you have to mentally go like all right chill this is this is a hemsworth don't freak him out you know like what <laughs> <laughs> Did you have to adjust at all when you when you're working with them, or were you a little like, bit?
0: I mean, a little bit. I, I, I'm not a famous person, so there's definitely like, well, yeah, it's definitely. that they're people being like, yeah, I, you're a, you're a star. I get why you're a star. You're just <laughs> you're just radiating charisma. Though I do think that that there is an element of they do pay me to not freak out. That's right. part of the job description, which is kind of nice. Yeah. And, and there's an element of this doesn't change the fact that I still sometimes get to confront people, and the, also so many things we do with celebrities. You have these tiny windows of time. Sometimes like with Tony, she'll be like, oh, we got an hour, 15 minutes. There are other times like you have maybe 20 minutes because they're basically, they're doing a cameo and they're just like willing to do a cameo and that's great. And, but, and so we, so we just need to be really, really smooth, really on top of their stuff. So you just try to be really professional. There, there's an element of, I try to mentally do it. It's like for the, for the very brief moment that we're shooting or only that moment, we are momentarily, we're colleagues. Right. You know, like, again, you're still really famous, so I'm gonna default to whatever you're comfortable with. But for (laughs) for the purposes of what we're doing right now, I'm going to be like, okay, great, so here's the situation. And it's also, uh, it's neat to see how every person, every actor also wants to work a little differently, which is kind of interesting. Some people just wanna know that, like, I was like, so I'm thinking maybe you could do this, and they're like, I'm gonna do this. Like, no problem, like, whatever they're comfortable with, we'll roll with that. I'll push back if, for some reason, the thing that they're doing is completely not working, like, I won't say who it is. There's been situations there, like somebody, somebody's there to do something comedic. They have weird comedic vibes. They take a big swing. And sometimes I have to be like, all right, we're going to do a couple. I let them, like, get it out, kind of, like, try it all out. Like, like, great. I feel pretty good with that. Can we try something else? And I'll, like, throw them options and see if I can kind of wrangle it back. It totally varies. Some people have their idea and just want to do it and, and kind of get out of the way. And some people, I'll provide them with options. I got this wild opportunity to do a very short thing with Samuel Jackson. Oh, wow. Who is who is really nice, but also seems to like enjoy messing with people. Like he's <laughs> he, he, from the moment he walked on set, he seemed like he was already over it, and yet he also was willing to do the thing and did four takes from me and like still took my direction. So like he, that could just be like his his operating vibe, and he's enjoyable. I met him twice, and the, and the first time I met him, I was shooting a backstage bit with with another colleague, and he. Was excited enough to actually show us the jacket he was wearing. He took off the jacket, and showed us the lining of the jacket, and somebody had custom made the, the the jacket for him. And inside the liner, lining of the jacket was him as Jules from Pulp Fiction, pointing the gun at the camera. And he was so excited that this was the inside of his jacket lining. And like, that was really cool. He like That is cool. He was just as excited to show us. No <laughs> one on TV was going to see that. That was just for like him. And he was like really just into it. But the other time I, I got to do a thing with him, like he came to set, it, it's like a a cameo and a thing. And I was like, great. So here's a situation and you're in this chair. And I'm thinking either you can like ch- be in the chair seated and turn around from the chair, or you can lean over the desk and deliver this one line. I was like, did going to give him options, like whatever you're comfortable with. And he basically paused and he was like, you're the director. Make a decision. What you want? And I was like, great. Why don't you sit and turn around? Was, okay. And like he, he, like seemed a little exasperated. Like just tell me what you want to do. I'm here. You got 10 oh, minutes. Yeah. To knock it out. Where some people want to feel it out and feel hurt.
1: So everybody's different. And that's. I mean, I'm sure in some cases it's managing egos, and in some cases it's managing that they don't have an ego. <laughs> well, the good news is that like I feel
0: really grateful that like if people are agreeing to doing a comedy bit, it's optional. They have opted in. Like people who don't want to do it, don't do it. So usually when we're working with somebody, they're just like excited. Or we're not excited, but they're like they're they're they're, they're game. For, they're game. They're in for what the thing is, which is really great. And it neat also to meet so many different actors that have different. Like again, Tony Shalhoub was just the nicest, most giving performer. Like mm-hmm. we we did a take of something that we involved some pantomime, and he was like, "Look, I can do better. Let, let me do another take." Like he was, he really wanted it to be better, which was so exciting. Yeah. And then the uh, the other person who really impressed me that I didn't do it. This was not a big thing. We did the thing was the occasionally did things that were like celebrity shortcuts where like you're getting multiple people to deliver lines that then get put together into like a joke bucket of something with a lot of different celebrities. We did something it was a fake get out the vote PSA. And it was kind of like, hey, you need to vote. then it was like trying to dispel voting myths and be like, voting doesn't cause it nosebleeds. It almost never causes All those people had nosebleeds before they came in there. Like, it was just like ridiculous, <laughs> more and more absurd things that are like, that's not how voting works. Uh-huh. And uh, but there was a script and we had every celebrity read the script, knowing that they were going to be intercut. So every, almost every line could be interchangeable with different people. And and so we, we, Joseph Gordon-Levitt agreed to like, yeah, I'll I'll read some lines. And what was so amazing, I did not ask him to do this. He, every line, knowing that it was gonna be kind of modular, every line he read three different ways. Like he basically gave three completely different line reads for every single line Wow. so that I would have as much versatility for whatever I needed. Oh, that's completely, cool. un- completely unprompted because most people are like hey you're willing to do this kind of take whatever stab you want on it if i think right. something's really off like it's too slow or up i'll make a i'll make a very minor suggestion that is optional to take and try to be as diplomatic as possible yeah. but completely unprompted just that that was his instinct as a performer was amazing and still has really impressed me to this day
1: oh that's cool to hear i'm not surprised to hear that about him because he seems like a professional who, who works really hard like i've heard yeah. the story of When he hosted SNL and he wanted to do the opening monologue that he did, which was a song of make them laugh, I think, or or something. It's like, he does this elaborate dance part to it and he worked on it for like a month. That's awesome. (laughs) <laughs> he, I
0: also think that we were filming and we we're filming like a uh, kind of a really small pop up space so with a bunch of people because it was kind of turning to tra- tra- performers sometimes. And, uh, and he was like really interested in what camera I was shooting on. Like he just oh. seemed like a really interested guy. And knowing that he's a director, like he's a director and a creator, like he, it was just, he seemed just really interested. He just seemed like a very, very, very cool guy. And, you know, the 10 minutes that I spent in a small room with him was, I was still in, exceptionally impressed.
1: I'm sure listeners want to know who is not cool, but I'm not going to ask you that. Because I will not answer those
0: questions. Why would I? I don't
1: like. That is a rule on this show that I won't put someone in that position to ask them. But I know once someone mentions like, this person is the best. This person was so great. That a listeners are like, who was bad? And I'm like, no, 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 this is not that kind of podcast. Yeah, if, we, if you need the goss, I'm going to tell
0: the listeners that you have been the worst. This is the worst interaction. So there you go. So it just <laughs> it's the, the the snake is eating its tail in the gossip train.
1: <laughs> well, this has been great. I could talk to you forever, but we should move to the end of the podcast and create something together. And What are we going to do? I'm so I don't I don't know what's going to be. I'm so glad. Well, you know, I, I this is what struck me because you were talking about. You know, like Joseph Gordon-Levitt's process and Samuel L. Jackson and, and also Tony Shalhoub and how they approach things. It feels and weird for
0: you to say all that. I was going to say, so it just seems just like, I, like I know these people. I do not know any of these people.
1: You right. met them, I, you worked with them on a, on if a if bit interact, on the show. And if I've ever interacted with them again, they would not remember me. <laughs> they meet a million people. Yeah, you're they, not, they, they you you were not, not name dropping. Not I <laughs> no, I exactly. brought up Tony Shalhoub. But I'm wondering, because You know, as an actor who would love to do more video sketch and wants to be really good in video sketch, my question would be, what advice would you give actors who want to get in things like Erica Hernandez's part or the sketch just at their theater or something they're putting on YouTube? What sort of advice do you have for them to be good, but for them to also be good to work with?
0: Oh, interesting. I, I'm going to momentarily separate those two questions just because, like, uh, I started to think through an answer for the first one, which is like, uh, how do you do more stuff? And how do you be safe? I think the same kind of advice that you've earlier, like, make a lot of content. Like, right. if you have the ability to generate your own concepts, like, write, write for yourself, that is going to blow your opportunities open so far. Even if you don't necessarily like you, you might not want to be a writer down the, down the range, but the idea that, like, to dabble in that. That will make you more understanding of other writers. That will make yeah. you understand the process the directors go in for like story. Like that will, there's still great value in doing that a little bit. Also, I think it's really helpful to like, if you don't want to write, find other people. Like, like you know, you, there are also up and coming playwrights. I'm incredibly grateful that like I talked about how I got in with this comedy troupe. That was so wonderful. Like I'm, I'm also a huge believer, like find collaborators, find, find kindred mm-hmm. spirits, build mm-hmm. a community because that's how, that's also like, you're going to find out about work as everybody comes up and you're and you're going to develop together like i'm so grateful that if i wanted to do a bunch of sketches i had a team that were performers and writers that needed stuff filmed Mm -hmm. that's a that was a wonderfully symbiotic relationship but but for comedic performers like like there are people that i have that i like don't know but that i follow as as actors or funny people because they've done like a sketch sample for like like you know some of the character showcases and I was like, that was hilarious. They were an incredibly good performer. Like, you, the, the, you need to figure out how to showcase your wares as uh-huh. an actor. Right. And and I know that there's frustrations of being like, well, I how do I get work if people won't put me in work? Like then you can make your own work very yeah. one of the wacky things i did in my first two years when i was just trying to find any new money and, and any way to work in practice is i offered a service for a little while with actors that was like hey you don't have much stuff for your reel hire me and we will shoot a bunch of fake stuff for your reel um uh, and it comes down to like hey what type of what type of stuff do you want to be doing and really was that like okay it's a police procedural so you think great we're gonna shoot a fake scene that stands alone and if it's shot well people might think that that was a short film and you're trying to beef up your portfolio like i i think also for like directors that might want to do music videos or might want to do commercials. I think there's value occasionally in doing spec commercials. For people who have the spec meaning, speculative meaning no one's paid you to do the thing, but you're right. doing it on your own volition, hoping that maybe it will. And for commercials, it's the idea of like, hey, if you really want to do certain types of commercial work, but nobody's paying you to do the work they haven't seen you, they haven't seen you can do it. Being able to prove that you can make a thing of your own volition that looks as good enough to, to be one of the real things. If somebody would look at your spec and not know that it was a spec, that's the ideal way to do it. And I think, for, at least for me as a, as a director, it's been interesting. My career through many different areas has been like, I've kind of needed to prove I could do the thing before somebody would pay me to do the thing. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate that it goes that range, but their idea that like, it, it, there's, some of these people are risk averse, but also the idea that like, you do need to prove that you have the chops before someone's willing to throw money at the chops. And right. I think there's an element of that as, as a performer too. Like if you want to do, if you want to do certain types of work and certain types of roles, there are ways to, test those waters and your ability to play those roles right and the barrier to entry to making still pretty amazing looking content is yeah. so low it is yeah. bonkers the the amount of quality you can get from a phone people are like well, i don't want to shoot a thing we're like no, no no you can shoot a whole short bump with your phone and it will you look really fantastic can. and it yeah. will legitimately look fantastic
1: yeah for sure and you don't even need a pro for it to look fantastic you can just just get a newer
0: Phone. <laughs> and it's, you can honestly, the, the auto settings for phones, I would say that the pro tip on that that I would have is, is it is worth paying somebody for audio. You're going right. to have the best looking image in the world. But if it sounds bad, it's going to be mute as bad. If the image is all janky, but it sounds crystal clean, then the visuals become sort of a style. Like you, right. you shoot a super grainy, choppy thing, but it sounds really like, all right, cool style. It doesn't work
1: the way around. Right. And then the second half of your question was so, yeah, to just to reestablish a question. So, let's say someone gets hired to do a bit on Late Show. What advice would you give an actor so that they are easy to work with, good to work with from the director's perspective?
0: I have an answer that kind of applies to getting hired to work under anybody. A simple thing is, I think in addition to being hired for a job, I'm thinking of this as creative jobs, but it actually works for any job. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you get hired for a job, you're hired to do the roles of the job. But I also think that part of the reason you're hired is to make the person who you're working under to make their job easier. Right. Or, or like, again, like it's so funny, like I used to do commercials, still do every now and then the idea that like, if I'm working for an agency or a client, I'm both trying to execute on a good commercial for the idea and sell it to it, but I'm also trying to make sure that their boss is happy. Yeah. That's part of what they hire me for too. And for the process, and so the biggest thing is like, and for the process to be smooth and easy and that you're there to like, basically to, to you're there to serve the needs of the shoot and the needs of the director. And the needs of uh, whatever the bit is, and it's weird because, like, especially for a lot of stuff that we do, some of the stuff that I do on, on Colbert and I'm just to act, where I was like, "Hey, what we're going to do today might be weirder than some of the stuff you're used to." In the realm where, I, if you're used to like playing a whole scene in its entirety, sometimes what we're doing for this, things, it's going to go so fast and it's going to be really weirdly mechanical. That I'm like, "I just need a snippet of a line from this angle," and I'm going to have you do a bunch of line reads. Sometimes I'll give, sometimes I'll, direct, sometimes I'll give line reads that I always kind of feel guilty about, but sometimes it's the best to get exactly, sometimes it's like a really subtle vibe. You know, we'll do a bunch to try to get exactly the line from this tiny piece, and it's going to be weird and mechanical, but it's going to go together great. And that's such a strange part of the process. But I, I, the biggest thing I would say is, is know that you're there to try to serve the needs of the other folks and, and do as much prep as you need as a performer to be able to execute, quickly when you need to it's all such a weird thing where it's like hey you're gonna be on set you're gonna go through hair and makeup you might sit in your chair for several hours and they're gonna pull you to set and you have five minutes to deliver these two lines and you're done for the day and that is super crazy and some mm-hmm. people some people can know that they're just work day actors and like ready you need for the thing say go we're ready to go some people may need more leave mental headspace yeah. And, and I'll say like, for me as a director, I'm, if people have questions, if performers have questions, I'm more than happy to answer any question that they need to kind of get in their headspace. Not, but not everybody might be. And I think it's still important to be like, Hey, if you need to do prep work, take ownership for whatever, you know, whatever mental prep work you need. I have a friend who did a commercial years ago and it was so interesting to hear him say this, cause he was kind of more theatrically trained. Mm-hmm. And we did a commercial. He, there was, there was no lines. He needed to be sweeping something off of the floor with, a dog was the gag. It was, and, uh, and it, it, you think it's a broom, and it turns out it's, it's a dog and, and then the dog runs off and, and he wanted to, it's supposed to be like his girlfriend's dog. And I think it was the thing. And, and he wanted to know if the house he was in was his house or his girlfriend's house. Yeah. Which I'm fine if you need the, if you need, if you need, I, I totally get the idea that like, hey, that helps solve a little bit of backstory for where you need to be. But I also think it's important to be like, if the director does not give you an answer, you got to pick. Yeah. That's funny if that, if that's your process, that's great. And in me as a director, if somebody needs, Answers to questions like that. I'll try my best to give answers to those questions. But I think take ownership of your own process and knowing that you're kind of there to serve the greater needs of the folks who hired you, even if the process seems kind of unusual, is uh, is good. So long as no one's exploiting you and it all feels really safe. If it feels sketchy and it doesn't feel safe, bail. Yeah.
1: Well, there it is. Ballard, thanks so much for being on the podcast. This was great. Thank you so much for having me. This was a total pleasure. I could have talked to him forever. What a really great and insightful chat. I hope you enjoyed it. And I really hope that we can have him on again sometime. Check out Ballard's work on his website, ballardcboyd.com. There, you can also sign up for his email newsletter and you can get a first look at new work. Follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Ballard C. Boyd. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at There It Is Pod. And subscribe to our YouTube channel at There It Is. Follow me on Twitter at Jason Farr Jokes and Instagram at Jason Farr Picks. Also subscribe to our Comedy Lifestyle newsletter and support us if you can. We have a Patreon and a PayPal. Go to ThereItIsPod.com for newsletter and support info. Links in bio. Great episodes coming up